An important question that all of us need to really answer and look into at this time in our life is the question, what really matters? As I look at what's going on around me, I have to ask the question about what's going on within me, and I have to ask the question, what really matters? Not only in my own individual life, But when it comes to my spiritual life and our church family, we have to ask the question, what really matters? I mean, when we get down to the foundation of life, what really matters? I think Paul helps us to answer that question in the opening section of the book of Colossians. So take your Bibles and turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to be thinking about keys to living uh, for Jesus or all for Jesus today. Colossians chapter 1, we're going to pick up in verse number 1. Colossians 1 and verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has also in all the world, and it's bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you learned and knew the grace of God in truth. As you learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. And with that, let's pray. God, speak to us today, and Lord, help us to see what really matters. And may the truth of that question and the insight of Scripture penetrate our hearts deeply. In your name we pray. Amen. Paul is writing the book of Colossians from prison in Rome about 62 AD or so. You remember Paul when he was preaching in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19, there were people who heard the message and then one man, Epaphras, who's mentioned in verse number seven, took this message a hundred miles further to the east and along the Lycus River Valley, he planted three churches, one in Colossae, one in Hierapolis, and one in Laodicea. So Paul now is riding back to this church in Colossae. What has happened is as Epaphras has come all the way to Rome and told Paul about the church, and now Paul is riding back and saying, look, church, I want you to see and to understand the truths that I have that God would have for you to understand as you live in this world. And a challenging world it was in which they lived. Now, you think that we live in a challenging world today. Paul, remember, is in prison because he preached the gospel. 
The Roman Empire was not necessarily a friendly place to those who called on Jesus and refused to worship idols. So Paul is writing back to this church that is seeking to go against the grain of culture and the polytheism of the Roman Empire that's moving against the vast immorality and idolatry that is all around them, and he wants to encourage them and show them what really matters. Likewise, we are in that same kind of boat today. We live in a world in which we as believers, once we come to know Jesus as our Savior, are moving against the grain of the culture, that we are moving away from the darkness deeper into the light, and yet we take our light into the darkness that is around us, and as we walk into the darkness, we understand that we stand out. Where we're not on friendly terms always with those who, who want to believe in an anything goes idolatrous pagan type of, of religion philosophy or some kind of ism that they are holding on to. And so Paul is giving the picture that I know you're going against the grain, but I want to encourage you in the process. And may I just encourage you with this thought. You know, it really doesn't make any difference who you displease if you please God. And it really doesn't make any difference who you please if you displease God. And that's the picture that Paul wants to write to this church at Colossae. He wants them to know and understand what is important and what really matters. Paul has something for them that they need to know. They need to know who they are. They need to know what they have. And they need to know what really matters. And so we see, down in verse number one, Paul and his, his partner Timothy, by God's will, are riding from prison. And notice we see that Paul writes, to the saints, in verse number two. Now, as we think about our life in living against and moving against the culture, first thing, we need to know who we are. You need to know who you are. And Paul, as he writes, he's writing to the saints. You are a saint. As a believer, you are called a saint. Now, I know in, in the world in which we live that there's a lot of confusion around someone who is considered a saint or not. But the picture here is Paul is writing and saying, look, as a believer, I want you to understand that you are a saint. Know who you are. Now, a saint is not someone who lived a pious life and then were later, they looked back on their life and then they took a vote whether they were going to be uh, given sainthood or not. The picture is, is that once you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are set apart by God and you are called a saint. That means that you're set apart. That means that Jesus has paid the penalty for your sin. That means that Christ now lives in your life. Your life has been changed. You are a saint. Now, you may not have felt very saintly this morning as you got up, if you know Jesus. You, you may not have felt very saintly when, you know, you took your shower or you rubbed the sleep out of your eyes this morning and you thought, I've got to get up and get ready for church. But the truth of the matter is, is you need to know who you are. You're a saint. Now, if the Bible calls you a saint, then you need to recognize that. Now, picture it this way. Ladies, if you were in a beautiful, white, long, flowing dress this morning, you wouldn't want to 
cut out across the field and walk over to the cube because you don't want to get it dirty. Guys, if you were in a white suit today, some of you'd look like uh, Colonel Sanders or Boss Hogg or something like that, you know. Uh, anyway, if, if you were in a white suit this morning, this would not be the time that, uh, you know, you want to go out and trim bushes and you want to you wanna weed eat. Why? Because I've got on these white clothes. I, I'm, I'm clean. I, I, I'm in white. And the truth is, is that we as believers, once we're given this call to be saints and we're robed in his righteousness, we don't want to fall into the dirt of sin. We don't want to get into the messiness of life. We want to, to live out that calling that God calls me a saint and because of Jesus, I am filled with the righteousness of Jesus inwardly, but I want it to impact me externally outwardly as well, so that people can see I am set apart to God. He says that you are a saint. But notice, he writes to the saints and faithful brethren. These are the brothers or the sisters. This is part of the family. Now, because you know Jesus, you vertically are related to Jesus. You are a saint. But because you are a believer, you are also part of a family that makes you a brother or a sister. It is a sense of brotherhood that we're in this together. It is written to the saints and the faithful brothers, the faithful sisters. This is a family that we stand together. We believe together. We move forward together. We have this camaraderie, not just in, built on an external truth, but because of the inward Holy Spirit that dwells in us. We are saints. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're part of a family. We're related to Christ. We're related to each other. And then he says, the faithful brothers who are in Christ. That little phrase, in Christ, is used 13 times in the book of Colossians. That little phrase, in Christ, gives the picture that I am accepted in Christ, that I am beloved by Christ, that my I am saved, my name's in heaven, that I am secure in him, that he's never going to let go of me, that I am in Christ. But then, notice down with me in Colossians chapter 1 in verse number 27, because it says something interesting there. It says in verse 27 of Colossians 1, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, we're in Christ. That means we're accepted, that we're saved, that our name's written in heaven. But the Bible also gives the picture that Christ is in you. Now, there's a man uh, who wrote a book called The Saving Life of Christ. His name is Ian Thomas. And in this book, The Saving Life of Christ, he says, in Christ gives you the picture of knowing that you're going to go to heaven. But Christ being in you gives you a picture that you have a ministry while you're here on earth. Being in Christ means your destination is heaven, but being of Christ being in you means that you have a destiny to live for Christ while you're here on earth. 
that Christ in you equips you and works in you so that you will be involved in ministry right here, right now, that you'll be pushing away the darkness, that you'll be sharing the light and love of Jesus. Christ is in you. You're in him. That means you're secure forever. But you are, Christ is in you, which means that you're a servant of him while you're on the earth. So the picture is, is if my ultimate destination, because I'm in Christ, is heaven, then my destiny is to bring some people with me because of my time spent on earth. You know, God could take us to heaven any time. God could call us to heaven at any time. God could bring all the believers to heaven at any time. In Christ, we know we're going. But the truth of the matter is, is that Christ being in us means that we have a ministry here on the earth. Are you fulfilling the ministry and the calling that you have? Know who you are. Secondly, we need to not only know who you are, but you need to know what you have. Notice what he says in Colossians uh, chapter 1 and the end of verse number 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you. Know what you have. He says... You have grace and you have peace. Now, when I was a, a, a child, my grandma, we called her Nan, she would write us our birthday cards. And on her, all of her birthday cards, messy handwriting, but she would always put lots of X's and O's on it. X, 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 O, 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 O. And it was, you know, hugs and kisses from grandma kind of a thing. Paul is saying, hey, look, X's and O's, there's a whole lot more to that when I write that you have grace and you have peace, I have something for you. I have sufficient grace to see you through anything that you're going to face in your life. As believers, we can experience the precious gift of sufficient grace. What is grace? Grace is God's undeserved, unmerited kindness and love and favor upon us. God showed that to us in the person of Jesus, that when we were sinners and we deserved to be punished and separated from God forever, God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sin, and he rose from the grave. And as a free gift of his grace, he offers us forgiveness and eternal life, free, no cost. Matter of fact, you can't pay for it. Sufficient grace. But not only do we have grace that saves us, as Ephesians 2.8 says, for by grace are you saved through faith. But no matter what we face as believers, we will always experience sufficient grace. That means that God's loving kindness and tender mercies and his undeserved favor will always be on us, even when we face the challenges of life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul begins to cry out to the Lord because he has this thorn in the flesh. Something physically, it's a, he calls it a messenger of Satan. Somehow Satan has inflicted Paul. And he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he prays three times for the Lord to remove it. And the Lord answers him in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 9. And he says this, my grace is sufficient for you. I don't know what you're facing in your life right now. As a believer, we experience the same hardships and difficulties of life. Financial challenges. We go through times of grieving. We go through times of sorrow. 
We have feelings of aloneness. We, we experience all of those kinds of things. But God shows us that his benevolent kindness of undeserved favor, love, mercy, grace is upon us and will sustain us through anything that we face in life. And some of you, 2020 was a hard year. You walked through some deep and dark places. Some of you went into some deep valleys. Some of you had to trudge up some high mountains and it was difficult. And the truth is, is that God's grace was sufficient to see you through. His grace is sufficient grace that will, that will see you through any circumstance and any situation that you face in life. John Newton, who wrote the great song Amazing Grace, put it this way. "'Twas grace that brought us safe thus far, and grace will lead us home." That grace is a secure grace. It saves us. It's, it's sufficient for all the challenges of our life and then secures us until we get home to be in heaven. We have grace. But not only do we have grace, but he says grace and peace. We have peace alongside of that. Now, peace is made up of of two thoughts here. First off, there's the peace of, of living in peace with God. There's harmony. You know, when two sides are are separated and they come together, there is a sense of peace. And we have a treaty of peace. Our peace treaty is called salvation. That we were separated from God because of our sin. Jesus lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose from the dead, paid the penalty for our sin. And when we receive Jesus as our Savior, then the Bible says that we have peace in our relationship with God. Romans 5, 1 puts it this way. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We can experience peace with God this way because of what Jesus has done for us. God is no longer uh, going to show wrath toward us as believers. No longer do we have to experience being separated from him because of our sin. We now are at peace and harmony with God because of the cross, because of the resurrection, because of the empty tomb, because of the gift of salvation that you have received. We have peace with God. But not only is it that kind of peace that is a harmony with God, but there's a personal serenity. See, peace is objective in that I can have peace with God through Christ, but it's also subjective in that I can experience and feel that in my life. Let me give you an Old Testament verse and a New Testament verse. In Isaiah 26, 3, the Lord says, uh, or Isaiah says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed or focused on thee because he trusts in thee. Here he's talking about subjective peace, that you can have peace when your mind and your eyes and your heart are focused on God as you walk through the storms. You may be in a storm today, and it may be that the Lord says, look, I'm not calming the storm, I'm calming you. And I want you to know, as you keep your focus on me, I'm going to keep you calm. Peace comes to him whose mind is stayed or focused on God. But then he tells us in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Here, when we take our prayers and we focus on God, 
and we lift our prayers to God, he says you can experience perfect peace that even passes understanding. The world cannot understand it. People in your circles cannot understand it. How can he walk with peace through that storm? How can she endure that valley with peace? The picture is God says I have perfect peace when you focus on me and lift your prayer to me. It's not just X's and O's at the beginning of this letter. God says, I have sufficient grace for you. I have awesome and perfect peace for you. And it comes through Jesus. Know what you have. Know who you are. But then thirdly, you need to know what matters. Now notice Paul writes to this church and he's going to drive home what really matters. Notice with me in verse number four. He's giving thanks in verse 3. But notice in verse number 4. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. What really matters? I think Paul lays it out and says what really matters is faith, love, and hope. In 1 Corinthians 13, 13, you know this passage. At the end of the great section on love that Paul writes, he says, now these three abide, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And 1 Thessalonians 1, 3, Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica and says, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope. Now, Paul is driving this home to us today, that what really matters in life is faith, my vertical relationship with God, love, my horizontal relationship with others, and hope, my eternal relationship and hope in heaven. That's the picture. That's what really matters. Today, if you would walk out of here and you would face some kind of misfortune and you would end up in the hospital today and you were going to face surgery, what would really matter in your life? Do I have faith in Jesus? Are there people around me that love me? And do I have hope that no matter what happens in this circumstance, my eternity is secure? You lose your job tomorrow? What really matters? Do I have faith? The Lord promises in Philippians 4, 19 that he'll supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. Do I have faith? Do I have love and support from others that are around me? Do I have hope that not only on earth but for eternity the Lord will take care of me? 2020 for many has been a year of grieving I've never heard anyone say on their deathbed, man, I wish I had a nicer car. Dude, if I just had a nicer car, if we would have just had a nicer house, man, if I could have just wore nicer clothes. Now, when you're in the hospital, you think if you can wear any clothes outside of that robe that only covers the front, you're doing good. But the truth of the matter is, 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 is it doesn't make any difference. The physical things all grow pale at that moment. You don't care about that anymore. What matters is my life and my relationship with Christ, my life and my relationship with others, and the assurance that I have for eternity. 
So he tells us and shows us what really matters. What matters? Faith in Jesus matters. That faith begins when I say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin and rose again. Jesus, forgive me. It's that initial step of faith of salvation. But then there's steps of faith all throughout our life that say, I'm going to follow God. I'm going to walk in his will. I'm going to serve here. I'm going to give here. I'm going to go here. I'm going to do here. There's this picture of continual faith in our life. See, the Bible tells us that we walk by faith, not by sight. The Bible tells us that we pray. We are to pray in faith. James 1 says, but let him ask in faith without doubting or without wavering. For he that doubts when he prays is like a a wave of the sea driven by the wind and tossed. Do you know people who are up and down all the time? The picture is, is when we have faith and when we pray in faith, we can experience stability. We can walk by faith. We can pray in faith. We can face spiritual warfare in faith. First Peter 5, 8 tells us that there is a, a, a lion seeking whom he may devour, that the devil is like a, a, a roaring lion. And first Peter 5, 9 tells him, res, tells us to resist him steadfast in the faith. That it's all about faith when we walk, when we pray, when we battle. Remember in 1 Thessalonians 1, 3, our work of faith, when we serve, it's all about faith. It's all about me walking in God's will, trusting God's way, moving in his direction. The one thing that we have to understand that Hebrews 11 drives home very clear to us in Hebrews eleven six: without faith, it is impossible to please him. You can do a lot of other things in this world, but there's only one way the Bible says that we can ultimately come to the place where we please God, and that's through faith. 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 But not only is there faith, but there's love. Love for others. He says, man, I, rem- I know your faith in Christ and your love for all the saints. Your love. Do you know what this crazy divided world needs to see? A united church showing love one to another, even through our differences even through our faults, even with our warts and all. The word love that's used here is not the word for brotherly love like philos, that we get the word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It is the word agape in which pictures the sacrificial love of Jesus. This is the same word that is used to describe Jesus' love. And he says, I can see within your church as faithful brothers and sisters that you are sacrificing to show your love and your unity and your camaraderie and your heart to others so that when one is hurting, man, the body loves each other and they hurt. When one needs help, the body comes together and brings help. There's the picture of love. And you know, Jesus even said it this way in John 13. You you may not have ever read this before, but John 13 says... By this will all men know that you are my disciples. By being able to tweet out the most snarky political twists and throw down on other people. No. Believe it or not, it doesn't say that. It says, by this will all men know that you're my disciples. By the love that you have one for another. It's not about how insightful you are with your politics. It's not how how insightful you are to our world's condition. 
It's not even how witty and snarky you can be with a quick wit and a comment. It's not about how you can serve or how I can preach or how we can sing. It's about love. It's about loving each other. Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples because you love one another. Love that's patient and kind. Love that forgives. Love that serves. Love that sacrifices. And love that calls and communicates. That's love. And then he says, not only your faith and your love, but your hope. You have your horizontal or your vertical relationship with Jesus. You have your horizontal love relationship with others. And then you have your eternal relationship in heaven. Hope for eternity. Hope for eternity. This morning in our early service, Everett Shy Jr. was sitting right over here, and I did the funeral for his father this week. He died on Christmas Day. I called him Christmas evening uh, about 6.45, and I could hear the oxygen machine blowing and talked to him just for a moment, said, Everett, how you doing? He said, I'm not doing too good. So I took a minute and prayed with him on the phone, hung up. Next morning, I got a call that about three hours later, he had stepped into eternity. But his son, they allowed him to come into the hospital and his grandson. And while they were holding his hand, they said, Dad, we want you to know it's okay. It's going to be okay. And he said, I know. (laughs) That's hope. That's hope for eternity. That says, I know it's going to be okay. I I know that that life is challenging. I, I know that this world is difficult. But I know that my hope is secure. I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Colossians 1 shows us what matters. And when you peel everything back in your life, all the material stuff, it it, it doesn't matter. I mean, we can enjoy it for the here and now, but it doesn't matter. What matters is our faith, our love, and our hope, that assurance of eternity. I want to go back and look at one thing real quick in verse number 2. He says, to the saints and faithful brethren who are in Christ, who are in Colossae. And that's where the problem and the challenge lies. We are saints. We are faithful brothers. We are in Christ. We have grace. We have peace. We have faith. We have love. We have hope. But right now, we're in St. Charles. And there's some challenging people around us. There's some flat-out difficult people around us. You may not live in St. Charles, St. Peter's, or on the other side of the river in St. Louis. And our mission is to take that message of Jesus, that faith, love, and hope, 
and share it with those that are right here in our circle, in our world, in St. Charles. It's one thing to know we're going to heaven, but God has a plan for you right now on earth. That's why you're here. And when the time for your mission's done, he'll call you. And you can hold the hand of a dear, beloved spouse, child, grandchild, and they can say, Grandma, Grandpa, it's going to be okay. And you can say, I know. But until then, let's get busy. Let's make a difference for Jesus. And with that, let's pray. Some of you, you may not have answered life's most important question. What really matters? That first one, faith in Jesus. Do you know that you know Jesus today? Do you know that you've been forgiven of sin? Do you know that he's in your life? Do you know that you have the hope that you're going to go to heaven? That assurance. This is not a wishful hope. It's an objective assurance that says, because of what Jesus has done, I know I'm going to go to heaven. Do you have that today? Some of you may not. And if you don't have that, we'd love to share with you how you could know, how you could know Jesus personally, how you can be forgiven and have eternal life. Maybe just even at this quiet moment, you need to lift up a prayer just in desperation to the Lord. Say, Lord, I know I've, I've broken your laws and I don't deserve to go to heaven. But Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. And you rose again, and Jesus, I ask you to forgive me. I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong. Come into my life. Many of you are believers that are here today. And God's calling you maybe to take a step of faith. Maybe to increase that flow of love. Maybe to quit complaining and griping and exhibit hope. Not for what's going on around us, but what's for what's ahead of us for eternity. God's speaking to you. These steps are open as a place you may want to pray today. I'll be here in the front if you want to come and pray with me. But if God's speaking to you today, maybe today's that first step of faith. And you'd say, Lord, I'm willing. I'm willing to do whatever you want. Father, in the name of Jesus, make us people of faith, love, and hope so that we can shine and make a difference in the world around us. May we see what really matters. In the name of Jesus, amen.